Well, it's a great joy again just to be here uh, amongst God's people. And uh, I don't know about you, but I'm really itching to get to the point where we can sing uh, these songs in this building. And uh, this morning I, I was almost couldn't restrain myself, but, and it's a bit the same this evening as well, just uh, being able to, to worship the Lord like this. But we, we're here together, and more of us are here, uh, which is absolutely great. And uh, so a tremendous welcome to you and uh, to those at home as well who, who are able to sing and uh, shake the curtains at home. So uh, we just thank God for this opportunity. As, as you know, we've been working our way through uh, the book of uh, the first three chapters, really, of uh, the book of Revelation. And we're now at the beginning of chapter three. And uh, the, the kind of background to this is that um, the Apostle John um, has been captured um, and taken to the island of Patmos, where he's being held as a prisoner. He is a, a Roman slave prisoner. Um, he's probably uh, certainly late 80s, early 90s in age, and uh, he is being used to, as a slave to probably make um, materials for um, the roads that the Romans built, and uh, so it's probably been used in that way. Um, but uh, he, on the Lord's Day, one Lord's Day was uh, what he says, in the spirit, he was he was praying probably, he was waiting, he was ready uh, to receive something from, from the Lord. And this vision, this vision came to him and uh, he was commanded to write the vision down and in doing so has it recorded for us even now to, to read it and to see it. Um, the, the, the letter was to be sent to the seven churches of Asia Minor, and uh, we've worked our way through these, um, and uh, we will be looking at the church in Sardis this evening. And uh, so we continue with a kind of mini-series, if you like, uh, on that. Um, Sardis was a very rich and yet sinful uh, Asian capital and uh, it had a, a temple to Caesar built in its, uh, amongst its homes and, and in uh, the city itself. And I don't know if you can imagine uh, what that might be like where uh, people are uh, required to uh, worship their emperor um, and uh, to, to follow uh, every command that the emperor brings and gives. And so a very challenging place for these people, but even more challenging for anybody who might have a different view uh, of uh, what that meant and uh, who they were going to worship. And so the church were in a very difficult place. Uh, Sardis, uh, as I said, was very rich. It was conquered twice uh, due to wars over silver and gold. And so that gives you an idea that they had uh, mines there where uh, these precious materials were able to be uh, dug out and mined. For those who are interested, you've maybe heard of Aesop, of Aesop's fables. Uh, well, Aesop lived in Sardis, uh, which is quite interesting. And uh, so if you, the next time you read Aesop's fables, if you're keen on that, then 
you'll have a little bit of background as to where he was from. I'm now going to give you a, a piece of science. Now, I'm not a scientist by any stretch of the imagination, um, but I'm going to give you some science. And um, the science is this, and some of you will know it if you've uh, done any science at school. Light travels at 22,000 miles per second, um, and that's it. That's the sum and substance of my science for you this evening. Uh, I hope you're impressed that I actually found that out. I knew that. Uh, light travels at 22,000 miles per second. And what that means is that if a star somewhere far, far away in a distant galaxy dies, we can still see its light for 25 years. So if it died today, tonight, we would still be able to see its light for 25 years, or up to 25 years. And the reason I'm telling you that is that sometimes when a church dies, it takes a long time before it disappears completely. Samson, in the book of Judges, did not know that the Spirit of the Lord had departed from him. And so he got himself entangled in all sorts of stuff uh, until the Lord was able to return uh, for uh, the final part of his life where he destroyed the place where the worship was going on in the book of Judges. In the book of Samuel, in 1 Samuel chapter 4, um, the ark of the Lord was... Um, captured during Eli's uh, life as the prophet. That was the one who trained Samuel as, as a prophet in the temple. And his, I think it was his daughter-in-law whose son was born uh, about the same time as Samuel died and his sons died um, because of all this kerfuffle that was going on in Israel at that time. And the son was named, this little baby that was born was named Ichabod. And uh, Ichabod means, for the glory of the Lord has departed. And so, as you can imagine, that kind of thing, that kind of message uh, to the church um, is a very disturbing one. And uh, so this letter is being written 30 years after Christ's resurrection, around about that time um, after his resurrection and ascension. And so we begin at uh, chapter 3, verse 1. Uh, it was very beautifully read by, by John for us earlier on, but let me comment on these verses. It says in verse 1, to the angel of the church in Sardis write, these are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds, you have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Now again, I think we mentioned in one of the earlier uh, portions that we did on this, uh, the seven spirits of God and who they are or what they are really. Um, but uh, the seven stars um, are mentioned um, numerously throughout this part, and they are uh, the, the, the ministers, the messengers, uh, or 
the pastors, some people describe it or translate it, of the churches. So we're talking about in the Apostle John's time in Asia Minor, folk like Andy and John and Craig and Andy Roberts and people like that who had come and were called to be ministers of the church and bring the message of God to the people of God. And uh, of course, the seven spirits of God talks about the completeness, the number seven meaning totality or or completeness, uh, fullness. And so when we um, hear of the seven spirits of God in relation to Christ, we know we're getting all of God when we get Christ. Another proof in the scripture that Christ is God. And the seven spirits being the spirit of the Lord, the spirit of wisdom, the spirit of understanding, the spirit of counsel, the spirit of strength or might, the spirit of knowledge, and the spirit of the fear of the Lord. And all of these can be found uh, in the book of Isaiah, chapter 11. And uh, so here we are, uh, we are talking or we are receiving words from the one who holds the seven spirits of God, and who, in other words, who is that complete person of God himself uh, and the seven stars. He holds the seven stars, those pastors, those um, messengers of the church. And he says to the church, and he says to them, I know your deeds. I know your deeds. You see, God gives us the stars. It tells us here in the book of Revelation. He gives the stars to us. And he also makes the stars to shine. He makes them to shine. And we need to pray that God will make the stars, make the messengers, make the angels of the Lord, if you like, or the pastors that preach to us to shine. We need to ask God that that will happen. We need to pray for Andy and and others that I've listed, that they would continue to shine. And, you know, we are absolutely delighted to have Andy Pearson and his family here. And we really pray that God will make him to shine as a bright, shining star in this church and in this community. That God would use him for his purposes. It's so important that the church is represented well. And we have no doubt that God will use him in that way. He says, I know your deeds. You know, even the quickest magician and sleight of hand is not good enough to sneak one past uh, Jesus. He says, I know your deeds. I know what is going on. I know what's happening in your heart, and I know what's happening in your churches. And these are good things, but sometimes these are not good things as well. And here, in this church in Sardis, He says, you have a reputation of being alive, and yet you are dead. It's interesting that very often people want some kind of reputation. It's interesting about Christ. It says of him, he made himself of no reputation. But here he says, you have a reputation. This church in Sardis, you have a reputation. In other words, people say things about you. People say things about this church in Sardis. And they say you're alive. It's interesting how they had got the wrong impression completely about Sardis. 
The people who said these things, whoever they were, had got the totally wrong impression because God says, but you are dead. Jesus saw the situation. He says, you are dead. I was speaking to a a brother who works with the church in North Korea um, not that long ago. And uh, he was uh, describing the church in the UK to some of the Christians in North Korea. And their immediate response was, oh, that church is dead. That church is dead. And uh, that's a challenge to us. Um, I'm not sure I necessarily agree with that, but it's a challenge to us that we need to see the church of Jesus Christ being alive in our own personal situations, but also in the community in which we live. Many people will look at St. Peter's and say, that's got a reputation of being alive. But that's not important, really. It's important what Jesus says. What does Jesus say about the church at St. Peter's? Does he say you're alive or does he say you are dead? There was one day when Jesus uh, came across a fig tree (laughs) and it had all the um, accoutrements of being alive. It had leaves and it probably had some sort of um, um, early um, season figs on it which were no use. But anyway, it had leaves but no consumable fruit. And he looked at the fig tree and he cursed it. And he was obviously talking about Israel and uh, their response to him and so on. But what about the church? What about the church of Jesus Christ? Are we alive? Are we producing fruit in season and out of season, as the Scripture calls us to do? He requires us, Jesus himself requires us to have a living faith. You often see that on an advert for a Christian worker somewhere has a living faith. (laughs) There's lots and lots of people say they have faith, but it's not very much alive. In fact, it's a kind of badge that they wear, uh, which doesn't mean very much at all. He wants us to have a living faith, a a burning love for for people, uh, a service that is is ready to, to do whatever is required of it, a kindness, a persistence in trial. And so all of these things show that we are alive and uh, are ready to serve the living God. Verse 2, it says there, wake up. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have found your deeds unfinished or incomplete or unfulfilled in the sight of my God. You know, sometimes... Uh, we can fall asleep at the wheel. You know, we're, we're tired out. Um, we're uh, finished. We don't have any much, very much energy left. And that's not really what it's talking about here. It's talking about people who've spiritually fallen asleep. We need to strengthen what remains. We must give our full attention to what God is calling us to. I was speaking uh, to a, a, a Burundian pastor Uh, just the other day. Some of us will know him, Freddie, uh, in Bujumbura. 
And uh, he was complaining that the church uh, was asleep um, as Islam takes over Burundi. And it's true, and we need to pray for, for our brothers and sisters across Africa, but in particular in these areas which have been dom- predominantly Christian countries, are now being um, uh, challenged by the, the uh, enforcement of Islam across many of these countries. And he was saying, uh, look, the church here in Burundi, they get together on a Sunday, they have wonderful services of worship and so on and so forth, but they're asleep. And Islam is taking over and nobody really notices. And they may complain from time to time, but nobody notices. We're asleep. And so we need to be awake as to what is happening in our own nation, in our own church buildings, in our own lives. And just as a result of that, I think we need to pray over the elections that are coming up in the next few days, pray very, very fervently um, that the Lord would bring uh, quality, uh, righteous uh, people who will uh, act on behalf of those who have voted them in and that the, the, the words of God might be taken into uh, cognizance in all of that. But we're in a predicament in our nation and uh, our children and our children's children if, if we don't see something change soon, uh, are going to find that we have been asleep at the wheel. And so we need to strengthen what remains. And so what is he saying here? He's saying, well, some say you're alive, but I say you're dead. But in actual fact, it's not too late. It's not too late. Strengthen what's, what remains. Get on with the job that I've called you to do. You may be broken in life, and that's true. Some of us have been through difficult days. We may feel like a kind of broken flax, as the the Bible describes it. Something that was working and growing well, but all of a sudden has been broken over, been trampled down. That may be part of our story. We may be a kind of sickly child, if you like, in our our attitudes and and our lifestyle. But Jesus said, no, it's not too late. It's not too late. Strengthen what remains. And we can't do that on our own, of course. We can't get that strength necessarily on our own. We need to ask God for it. And he says, I found your deeds to be unfinished in the sight of my God. We can, we can receive praise from um, mankind, people around us, saying, wow, you're doing a good job. And we can, even in our own conceitedness, we can claim that our work is complete. But it's not really our assessment of the situation that is important. It's Jesus' assessment of the situation. And he's saying that we need to wake up, that we need to get rid of the, the, the death that is around us and we need to come back to life, wake up and get on with what he's called us to do. Jesus did not fall asleep. His disciples in the garden of Gethsemane fell asleep. But Jesus went on and prayed 
And I've always found that a challenging thing because I'm not a kind of night person. Um, there are people who, who can do night shift and who can sit up at night and read and do all sorts of stuff. By the time 10 o'clock comes, my head's falling over to the side. And so I'm not a night person. I like to sleep. And so I always feel challenged when Jesus says to these disciples, look, you need to stay awake and pray. But there are times, brothers and sisters, when challenges are around us that we need to pray. We need to stay awake. We need to get on with what God has called us to do and not fall asleep. Jesus went all the way for us. And he eventually cried on the cross, it is finished. The work that I was sent to do has been completed. Now in verse 3. It says there, remember therefore what you have received and heard. Hold it fast and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief. And you will not know at what time I will come to you. Sardis um, was uh, taken by the Goths in 400 AD, should I say. Now, the Goths are not these guys you see walking up and down the Perth Road with black leather coats and sort of funny makeup. Um, They were a kind of Germanic, South Scandinavian uh, nation or or group of people who, who... went down as far as Sardis and took over uh, that part of the country. And, uh, and Jesus, uh, we're talking that this was written, what we're reading tonight was written uh, 25 years or so after Jesus' uh, ascension. And 400 years uh, after that, the Goths came and, and took over Sardis. And it just reminded me of the, the lampstand and uh, Jesus saying, you know, you've got a lampstand amongst you, bright light, uh, which is the church, but I can come on, uh, and take away your right to be a church because that's really what it's meaning. You, 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 you can have the right to be a church only because I give you that right. But if I take that right away, you have no longer any right. And sometimes, as I say, it takes 25 years before we see uh, that end come. But he says, remember what you have received. And, you know, as Christian believers, that is the most important thing to us, what we have received. We have received salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have eternity with him. That's what we've received. We've had our sins forgiven. We are people who have got everything to rejoice about and everything to commit to in terms of service. Remember what you have received. We're often so quick to forget what we have. And earlier on it talked about the first love uh, of the church, that it had been forgotten. And Jesus says, no, you need to hold fast to these things. Don't give up on them. Hold fast to what you have. It's astounding how quickly we let go of what God has given us. And then he says, thirdly, repent And repentance just means turning around. One day we're doing our thing, our way, and Jesus says, repent, we must turn around and go God's way and do things His way. And so we need to change to do what God is asking of us and commanding us to do. There is a wide road that leads to destruction, but there is a narrow road 
that leads to salvation. And, you know, it's very difficult to change track. Sometimes we have got to go backwards before we can rejoin. We've got to repent and turn around and go back. And as, as the Old Testament talks about in Second Kings, to go to where the axe head fell off um, and get, pick it up again. Start again. And uh, so repentance is not just about feeling sorry. It's about turning around. It's about getting ourselves on track to go where God wants us to go. But he says he's going to come like a thief. And uh, there was a movie made about that one in the 70s. I remember watching it. Um, what was it called? Can anyone remember what it was called? But um, it, it was a, a movie about... Was that what it's called? I can't, don't know if that was the one I'm thinking about. But anyway, don't worry. Um, it was something like that. And um, these people all sort of disappeared when Jesus came back and those people left behind. And it was, uh, it was a bit scary and a bit crazy. I'm not sure how theologically sound it was, but it was, it was a scary movie. And he says uh, that he would come like a thief. But it comes from First Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 1. And it reads like this, Now, concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying, people, <laughs> while people are saying, it's important that we get this, it's not what people say, it's what God says, while people are saying, there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to, uh, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of the light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as, as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and for the helmet of the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one, another's, one another and build up one another, just as you are doing. And so he's telling us he's going to come like a thief in the night, but those of us in the church ought not to be caught napping. <laughs> We ought not to be caught out as if we didn't have the light and the truth of the Word. And it's probably because that we don't know what the Word says that we get caught out. And so we need to be very aware that we cannot uh, miss what God is saying to us. And, and the Scripture is full of incidences where He calls us to be awake, He calls us to pay attention, etc., etc., then in verse 4, 
says this, you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. Now, if you can refer to what we spoke about this morning, there was this colored dye that was produced locally, um, and uh, it would stain your clothes another color, um, as dye does. Um, But it's kind of talking about the world system, that they had uh, a temple there to Caesar, and he's saying, look, don't go there. Don't get yourself involved in that stuff of the world. Stay away from the colored dye that will stain your clothes. They will walk with me, he says. Those people who have not soiled their clothes, they will walk with me. And when I read that, I was reminded of the story of the Emmaus Road where these disciples uh, were walking and Jesus was there with them. And they really didn't know where he came from or where he went, but he arrived and he appeared with them and he spoke with them. And their, their testimony of that experience was, did not our hearts burn within us that Jesus was with us? And we didn't really know it, but there was something going on. We just knew that something was different. And so he says, they will walk with me dressed in white. That's what we're called to be, pure and clean, for they are worthy. You see, as Christians, our garments, our life has been washed white in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, the blood of the Lamb. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins, and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. What a wonderful, wonderful hymn. And our, I don't know if you've ever um, cut yourself and got blood on your clothes. I was just thinking about uh, the wedding yesterday. Uh, I don't know if you saw online uh, the Gika wedding yesterday. It was a beautiful wedding. And here is uh, the bride standing there beautifully dressed in white. Like you can imagine if... Um, something happened and a stain went onto that beautiful dress, how everybody would be, oh, no, um, you can't do that. That's horrible. That's awful. That dress has to remain clean. And here we are. Um, we are told that every stain that has, that has applied itself or got onto our lives can be washed away through the blood of Jesus. You see, most blood when it goes on in your garment, stains it red. But this blood cleanses it white, cleanses us white as snow. Though your sins be as scarlet, they will be as white as wool or as white as snow rendered at times. Revelation Revelation chapter 7, verse 13, it's further on than where we are right now, But let's read that. It says, Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these clothed in white robes? And from where have they come? I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. This is the the Christ that we 
have come to know and to love and to worship. His blood cleanses us from all unrighteousness. The one who is victorious, verse 5, the one who is victorious will be like them. Be dressed in white. I will never blot out their name, the name of that person from the book of life, but will acknowledge that name before my Father and his angels. You see, we have been given a great promise uh, here that if we walk with Christ, if we live with Christ, as we are obedient to Christ, if we are victorious in the, 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 the job, the work, the, the call, the walk that God has given to us, then we'll be dressed in white. And he will never blot out our names from the book of life, the Lamb's book of life. Um, and we read about that in Revelation chapter 5, where the, the Lamb opens the book. Um, it's wonderful. And he will, we will be acknowledged. Matthew 10, 32 says this, So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever den denies me before men, I also will deny him before my Father who is in heaven. Revelation 20, verse 12. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And here he is he's basically likening the, 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 the book of life, if you like, as, as a kind of census where people's names were blotted out only for a few reasons. If you were in the census, you remember the census was, was, was taken as Jesus was born in Bethlehem. There was a census being taken at the time. And there's only a few reasons why the census would remove your name. One was because the person died. So you got taken off, as you would, off the register, if you like, because you were dead. A second was if you committed a crime against the state, boop, your name disappeared, <laughs> and you disappeared as well probably then. The person loses their citizenship for some reason. Um, it's interesting how even that's a, cu a current situation where some people have gone off to fight with, with uh, uh, the, the war in, in Iraq um, and so on, and they've lost their citizenship uh, as a result of that. So some people can lose their citizenship. But also the author of the book, uh, those who write the book, have got the right to take people's names out uh, as well. As Jesus is the author of this book of life, he has the right to add and subtract names as he would. And so he says, your names will not be blotted out. You will not. I will never blot them out of my book. Exodus 32, 33 says this, whoever has sinned against me, as the Lord speaking to Moses, whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. 
But we have been given a guarantee in Christ that we remain in his book. 1 John 5 and 4 says, For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? And so we are overcomers who believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And finally, we're moving on to the end of this small portion here in verse 6. It says, Whoever has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And it's not talking about these devices that are hanging on the sides of our heads, but it's talking about our hearts. Are our, our, our hearts actually hearing what the Spirit is saying? Not what the newspapers are saying, not what our neighbors are saying, not what people say, but what the Spirit is saying uh, to the church. The Spirit in this record is speaking to the churches in Asia Minor, but He's also speaking to us. It's recorded for our benefit. And so we must hear what God is saying, but we also must do what He's commanding. So very briefly, let's recap. What have we learned? Well, what world riches don't cut it uh, in terms of uh, our Christian walk necessarily. It's not sinful to be rich. Some of us will be happy to know that. It's not sinful to be rich. But the Lord didn't make you rich uh, for no good reason. He made you rich for a reason. And storing up riches and spending it all on ourselves is not that good reason. <laughs> He's given us a reason for these riches, for the sake of the kingdom of God. People can say we are spiritually alive, but Jesus knows exactly whether we are alive or dead, as we've read. It tells us that Christ is the full measure of God, and we don't get shortchanged when we receive Christ, um, as the world might try to tell us that we are living in some ancient fantasy, but we're not shortchanged when we receive Jesus Christ. In fact, we get the full measure of God when we receive Christ. We need to wake up and complete the work that God has called us to do. We're commanded to remember. We're commanded to take hold of what we've received and heard. And we're commanded to repent if we find ourselves that we've veered off track somehow. We're reminded that Jesus is coming back like a thief. In other words, we won't necessarily know it by the second, but as Christian believers, we can see the signs, the signs of the times. We can see what's going on in the world around us, and we need to be ready for his return. There are many, many people who are not ready, but we as believers need to be ready that Jesus is coming back. And we're all confronted with or walk with Jesus when we find Jesus walking with us. Our hearts will burn within us. We'll know of his presence. And I pray that that might be mine. It might be yours, that, that you know the presence of Christ, that our hearts burn within us when he's there amongst us and, 
and walking with us. And those who remain faithful will be rewarded with robes of white and indelibly, indelibly printed our names on the Lamb's book of life. And so we thank God for his word. We thank God for these small portions of, of the book of Revelation. And we ask him that that might be a blessing to us. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks again for your grace and for your goodness. We thank you that your word brings a challenge to us. And we pray that you might challenge us to maintain our walk with you, that we might live for you, that we might have you with us close by, that your presence might make us burn inside, that it might set us on fire to serve you. Help us, Lord, as, as your Spirit speaks to us. Let us not ignore and turn a deaf ear to your word and to your unction. But let us be obedient to you and serve you. So be with us now, we pray. Let your word have effect in our lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.